listening to another powerful message from C3 Southwest Washington. We are so excited you're here with us, and we believe God has more in store for you. We're going to continue this morning with our series called Apostolic Exiles, and that title, um, uh, QR code if you want to follow along in the notes. Today there's a lot of notes, so you might want to take a look at those when you get home. Uh, but the, our title, Apostolic Exiles, really is the idea, an apostle, not like the apostle John, but an apostle from a definition standpoint, is someone who is sent to a place that represents where they came from and has gone there in order to bring what they where they came from to the new place, to be the representative of the leadership back there, to impose the, the rule and the reign and the structure and the culture. It, it's that forward-leaning, establishing what was back there over here. And the idea of the word exile is that while you're here functioning as an apostolic representative, you are away from your home place. And so if those two words work together, they really are a beautiful picture of what Adam was in the Garden of Eden. God had sent his kingdom to the earth and placed Adam to be the kingdom representative and then Eve. And they it was not their forever place, but they were representing all of heaven here on earth as God was establishing his kingdom. Certainly is... Uh, the same role that Jesus had when he came from heaven to earth on behalf of heaven to establish the kingdom of heaven once again here on the earth. The kingdom of heaven is not for when you die. The kingdom of heaven is for right now in your life. And there's some beautiful scriptures that we'll look at over the next coming weeks about the reality of God's kingdom here on earth. With that, let me just read you again and where this is part two of part four of part seven. Um, those of you who understand that, you just put up with it. But Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, it says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent will take it by force. Anybody violent in this room? I sure hope so, because it's not just going to happen. Whatever's meant to be, it'll just happen. No, it won't. If you, st- if you stand passively by, the will of God might not take place. How do, what are you talking about? No, 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 God's will always takes place. Oh, really? The Bible says that Jesus went to his hometown and he desired to heal the people, but because they were unbelieving, he was not able to heal anybody. The will of God does not always take place. We have a role to play. And I wanna see all of heaven's best show up in your life, no matter what your age is, your background. I wanna see all of heaven's best happen in your life but you better rise up and become a little confrontational. Some of you are peacemakers and that is great to a point, but at some point you gotta, you gotta throw down. Being quiet, now it's time to, use your, time to use your words. Time to use the authority God has placed in you as an apostolic exile, standing on ground where he wants you to establish the kingdom of heaven in the life of your family, wherever you step. And so we have to be violent. This is not violence against a person, This is spiritual violence. This is kingdom violence to take ground. Picture yourself out there. You own an entire forest, but it's overgrown with all sorts of uh, brambles and blackberry bushes. And you're out there with your giant manly backpack of a, 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 what's that thing called, Jay? The hedge trimmer, whatever it is, okay? And you're just chopping stuff down, clearing the way so that you can enjoy the thing that God has given you. You'd better have that attitude, okay? Look at the person next to you and say, get some attitude. Oh, you guys are way too polite. Hey, hey, excuse me, excuse me. Could you get some attitude, please? Say, get some attitude. 
Father, I thank you so much this morning. Jesus, you had attitude at times. You walked into the, into the, uh, the marketplace set up inside the temple. You flipped the tables over and you said, this house is a house of prayer. Father, I thank you so much for the example of your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. And today, as we look at the kingdom of God, we're reminded that he said over and over, I've come to establish the kingdom, to declare the kingdom, to push the kingdom out, to invite you in. And we're grateful for that. As participants, as followers of Jesus, we, every step we take is within the kingdom. And we've come to be violent. And we've come to establish the kingdom because the kingdom that you've established is a suffering attack. And we don't want to lose any ground. In fact, we want to take ground. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said nice and loud, amen and amen. Give the Lord a big hand and a high five to the person next to you. And uh, wow, what a, a, man, from the very beginning, Paige Ackler, man, I thought he was going to preach this morning. He did preach. And uh, all the way through, what a great, what a great worship set. I mean, those are some amazing songs. Is it just me? Man. Phew. All right. So we started uh, a sub-series within our series called Seven Violent Attacks, and this is really kind of focusing as you look at Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, we watch this serpent show up in the garden. As God has established the kingdom of heaven there in the garden, uh, so much more than what you see in a child's coloring book or a picture book. It's not some little, you know, nice little snake whispering to a lady who's eating apples, okay? Nothing like that. It's one of the most vicious underhanded attacks in all of scripture. It is violent what takes place there. The, the implications and the ramifications are, have affected your life. When you, when you say, why is this happening to me? Look in the rearview mirror and it goes all the way back to this moment. It was an attack upon God, an attack upon God's messenger. It was an attack upon God's ambassador. And Everything was in play when this attack took place. And so we've covered the fact that that attack and what was attacked on those, in those couple of chapters is also the same common ground that's attacked today, especially in the lives of our young adults, our students, our teenagers, but all of us. We see this be attacked. And we've covered the first, I don't know, two or three. I'm not even sure how many. Um, we talked about the first attack in the beginning, God, and that's the violent attack against the reality of God and his kingdom. And I won't recover that. You, you can go back and look at the notes and you can uh, listen to the message from a couple weeks ago. Attack number two was the attack against God said, let there be. And that's the violent attack on the creative work of God to establish heaven and earth. And we talked about the creation and we talked about some of Christian's misunderstanding of creation and some of the scientific misunderstandings of creation. And you can go and listen to that as well. Number, the third, number three attack was, he said to the woman, and now that's in a violent attack against God's apostles, an attack against the representatives of his kingdom created to take ground from the other kingdom. And we talked about how once you step into the kingdom of heaven, now you have an adversary. Prior to that, you are just under siege. You are like in a city and you're surrounded and you're allowed to live on scraps, but the moment you step out and begin to establish kingdom in your life, there's a heavy attack. And I watch this as people say yes to Jesus. And it's like the first couple of weeks, whoa, man, the whole world breaks loose for them. I also watch that happen in people's lives anytime they decide to take ground. 
I watch it happen in our interns. As soon as they sign up for interns, I'm like, oh, let's stand back <laughs> just for a few minutes here. We're going to help them pray. And there's an attack against that. I, I'll guarantee you this. Some, some, to some of our students, I'll say, you're going to go. You're going to have an amazing weekend or week this uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at the one conference. You're going to get all fired up. And then on Monday, when you go back to school, there's going to be a he or a she that shows up in your life, not sent by God, but sent by somebody else to distract you. It's, it's like clockwork. You know, somebody gets doing really good, begins to build their ministry, and they get offered a job across the country in a place they've never been to, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, it must be God's will because it's more money. Well, I'm not saying it's not God's will because it's more money, but I guarantee you just because it's more money doesn't mean it's God's will. Sometimes it's to rob the thing from you. It's, to, it's an attack against the fact that you are an effective apostle, the representative of God. So, number four, today this is where we'll start off, and I hope to finish seven through seven, not another seven, through seven, four, five, six, and seven today. Uh, it's, it's the attack on, did God actually say? And this is the attack focused on uh, reading, possessing, and declaring God or our king's word in our life. In the garden, Eve was questioned, did God really say? And that goes on all the time in our mind. And it's not really as much a, an attack on did God say it or not, because God, we know what God has said if we read the word at all, but it's an attack on, but what did he really mean? And does that really apply to you? And we see that attack happening all the time. In fact, the attack on God's word in general is just out there. And what's happened is all the world strives to bring the word of God down to the level with other books so that it can be disqualified as some religious uh, false propaganda and some crazy disinformation guy in, a, in sandals running around you know, 2,000 years ago talking about this book. But this book, when you stand back and begin to look at it from a 30,000-foot view, is not just God's word because I say it's God's word. It's not just God's word because it says God's word on the front of the Bible or all throughout it says that it's God's word. It's God's word because there is no other book that's ever been on the planet like this book. I mean, the supernatural, miraculous nature of this book is astounding if you actually dive in. 66 books, 40 different authors in one book. Have you ever heard of a book like that? You can't even collaborate between two people usually. 40 different authors, 1,500 years, immeasurable characters, two testaments, different countries and backgrounds, and yet the continuity from beginning to end is astounding. Those 40 different authors came from every different walk of life. They weren't in the same college class. They were of all different countries. They were of all different backgrounds. We had some kings, military leaders, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, tax collectors, poets, musicians, statesmen, scholars, shepherds, all wrote the word of God. We've got Moses, who's a political leader and a judge trained in the universities of Egypt, We've got David, a king poet, a shepherd, and a warrior who grew up in his father's fields. We've got Amos, who was a herdsman. We've got Joshua, who's a military general. We've got Nehemiah, a cupbearer to a pagan king, writing the word of God. Daniel, who was basically a prime minister in a foreign nation. Solomon, who was a king and a philosopher and morally a, hor a horrible human being. We also have Luke, a physician and historian. Peter, who was a fisherman, Matthew, a tax collector, Paul, a rabbi, and Mark, who was Peter's secretary. It's written in many different locations, including Moses in the wilderness, Jeremiah in a dungeon, Daniel on a hillside, and in a palace. 
Paul inside of prison walls, Luke while traveling, and John while on exile to the island of Patmos. Sound pretty good so far? How does this all come together? We're talking about a puzzle, not in a box, pieces scattered all over the universe and people finding them and putting them all together. It was written in different moods from the heights of joy to the depths of sorrow and despair during times of certainty and then also during times of uh, conviction, times of confusion and doubt. Written on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. Written in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and also Greek. Written in a wide variety of literary styles, including poetry, historical narrative, song, romance, didactic treatise. Don't ask me what that is, okay? Personal correspondence, memoirs, my favorite, satire. That's called sarcasm, okay? Biography, autobiography, law, prophecy, parable, and allegory. It addresses hundreds of controversial subjects that elicit opposing opinions when mentioned, including marriage, divorce, and remarriage homosexuality, adultery, obedience to authority, truth-telling and lying, character development, parenting. Yet from Genesis to Revelation, there is this continuity all throughout the scripture. Some ordinary book, right? Just along with all the other books on the planet, right? In spite of its diversity, the Bible presents a single unfolding story where God's redemption of human beings is central and focused. And among all the people described in the Bible, the leading character throughout is the one true living God made known through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Now check this out. In an, Amer- in an article in the North American Review, a writer made some interesting comparisons between the writings of Shakespeare. You heard of Shakespeare, maybe. Maybe you haven't read it, but you've heard of Shakespeare. And the scriptures, which show that much greater care must have been used with the biblical manuscripts more than any other writing, even so much so that there is more opportunity to preserve the correct text by means of printed copies, Shakespeare, than when all the printed copies had been made by hand. And he goes on to say, this is his quote, it seems strange that the text of Shakespeare, which has been in existence less than 208 years, should be far more uncertain and corrupt than that of the New Testament, now over 18 centuries old during nearly 15 of which it existed only in handwritten manuscript form. With perhaps a dozen exceptions, the text of every verse in the New Testament may be said to be settled so far by the general consent of scholars that any dispute as to the actual writings is more on the interpretation of the writings and not the words themselves. But in every one of Shakespeare's 37 plays, there are over 100 different readings and that are still in dispute that affect the outcome almost completely of the story itself. Now, if you tracked all that, you're like, wow. We're talking about people who dedicated their lives to copy from one parchment to the next, passed down while they were being persecuted and killed. And yet, we don't know how half Shakespeare's plays turn out, we guess, but we know exactly every single word with the exception of a dozen words in the entire New Testament. How about the prophecy and fulfillment? If you don't think it's a book that's any different, while miracles are proof of God's divine power, prophecy is proof of God's divine knowledge. In the study of the Bible prophecies and their fulfillments, some of the greatest proofs of inspiration are found in those in Scripture. That God could cause men to accurately predict events in future generations before they occurred is the most validating part of Scripture that we have. Just on the verses about Jesus himself, there are over 350 prophetic 
utterances in the Old Testament about Jesus that are fulfilled down to the fact that not even a bone was broken in his body when all of those who were crucified by the Romans on a cross, they broke their legs at the very end. When we read that they came to Jesus and found that he was dead and did not break his legs, it was uttered in the Old Testament and not a bone of his shall be broken. In fact, it talks about they pierced him in the side in the book of Psalms, also the book of Isaiah. Prophesied hundreds of years beforehand over not just one, not just two, not we got lucky, 350 Old Testament prophecies. There's not another book that prophesies the future. Some of you are interested in Nostradamus. Okay, you know, the sun might come up one day and some fires will happen. Woo, he was prophetic. I could prophesy that. Yeah, there's some great things with Nostradamus, and some of you are like, who is he? Not in the Bible, okay? I'm not talking about a Bible character. But the accuracy with which the Bible depicts, he'd be crucified between two thieves. You understand that's in the Old Testament, that his clothes would not be torn, but they would be shared. Why would anybody want to share a dead man's clothes? Well, I thought Jesus was really poor. I'll tell you what, he was wearing some Gucci or something. They wanted his, his cloak. Oh, we're talking about, oh gosh, I thought Jesus was a poor beggar who wore a burlap sack and borrowed shoes. Not so much, okay? Uh, Scripture's amazing. The miraculous preservation of the Bible, over 3,500 years, the Bible's the most loved book in existence, but Roman emperors issued edicts ordering its annihilation. There's no other book that's been under attack like this book. No other book, none. Roman emperors, they issued their edicts. Millions of Bibles have been burned and countless thousands have been crucified for having a copy of the Bible. It's been rejected and and, uh, corrupted and challenged. Its infallibility and its authority have been attacked from every angle. However, through the centuries, the Bible has survived. God's miraculous preservation of his own word is proof of its inspiration. Although it was first written on on paper that was made out of pressed leaves, it has still survived hundreds and hundreds of years. Right down to the printing press, the scriptures have never diminished in their style, their correctness, nor have they ever faced extinction. Compared with other writings, the Bible has more manuscript evidence to support it than any 10 pieces of classical literature combined. Jews preserved the manuscripts as no other manuscripts have ever been preserved. They had special groups of people within their culture who it was their sole duty to preserve the word of God, that it would be perfect. Uh, The noted French infidel Voltaire, who died in 1778, declared while he was alive that in 100 years from his time, Christianity would be swept from the existence and passed on into history. But only 50 years after his death, the Geneva Bible Society used his printing press and his house to produce stacks of Bibles. God has a sense of humor. God's heard this stuff all the time. We will see the end of God. Oh yeah, okay, well he's still here. And he does things that are hilarious. In 303, the Roman emperor Diocletian issued an edict to stop Christians from worshiping and to destroy their scriptures. An imperial letter was sent everywhere ordering the raising of churches to the ground and the destruction of fire of the script, by fire of the scriptures, proclaiming those who held high positions would lose their civil rights, while those in households, if they, consist, they persisted in their Christianity, they would be deprived of their liberty. The irony of this event is recorded by the 4th century church historian Eusebius, who explained that 25 years after Diocletian's 
uh, edict, the Roman emperor Constantine, who shows up big on the scene, issued an edict ordering that 50 copies of the scripture should be prepared at the government's expense. And every time somebody flexes up against God in society, God just gently flexes back and shakes the earth. How about the influence of the Bible? Is this okay? Can I keep going? Hold on, I gotta breathe for a second. I need the the mask to drop down. Okay, here we go. The influence of the Bible. It's not unusual to hear about books that have hit the bestsellers list, selling a few hundred thousand copies. It's much rarer to come across books that have passed the 10 million mark in sales. It staggers the mind to discover that the number of Bibles sold reaches into the billions. According to the United States Bible Society 1998 Scripture Distribution Report, in that year alone, member organizations were responsible for distributing 20.8 million complete Bibles, 20.1 million New Testaments. When portions of Scripture are included, the total distribution of copies of the Bible or portions thereof, in 1998 alone, 585 million copies. You made the New York bestseller list? Whoop-dee-doo! God's been topping the chart since day one. Has God said? Yeah, he has said. When you hear that whisper in your, did God really say? Yes. Don't let the sentence even finish. Yes. Did God? Yes. Did Yes. You say it with confidence. Loved uh, what was uh, shared already from the pulpit this morning. We're going to just sit back. Oh, God, if you can work it out. We declare God's word. We don't even really, so many of the times, don't even need to pray and ask God. We just simply need to declare what he's already declared to our situation. Look at your checkbook and say, checkbook, receive the word of God. He will provide all of my needs. Plain and simple. You declare over your healthy, your, your sick body, I am the Lord God that healeth thee. You're speaking on behalf of God. Be healed in Jesus' name. Oh, I, that was so wrong. It's so wrong for you to talk like that. Yeah, it's wrong when a police officer's like, um, excuse me, you, you, you fat guy going too fast. Oh, I don't want to be too forward. I would hate to use my authority given to me by the chief, but so I'd like to, if, if you're feeling okay, could you pull your car over the, pull your car, pull your, pull your, pull your car over this way. Oh. And that's how we pray. Because we feel like, what right do I have to declare God's word? You're an apostolic exile. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are, have come to be violent and declare the will of God on this earth. That sometimes is knowing that this house should sell. Well, God doesn't care whether we live in a hut or a house. Um, The Bible says he cares about everything that you care about. And if you're going to use it for his glory, no matter what you do, he cares. We bought into this thing that, you know, it's just, 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 I don't deserve anything. Well, that's true. We don't deserve anything. And yet he says, ask. Sure, I guess my kids could say, I don't deserve anything, but the heart of the Father is to give them everything. The Bible says it's the heart of the Father to give you the kingdom. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The kingdom, not just your little house, the kingdom. Healing, what are the things that are part of the kingdom? Strength, life, family, success. Those are the things of the kingdom. It's the Father's heart to give you the kingdom. He withheld nothing from Adam. Man, I hope everybody is cheering online because I'm cheering on the inside of my soul. Don't make me come out there. 
I've done that before. You, you don't want none of that. Okay, the translations of the Bible. Most books are never translated into another version of anything. There's one language usually among the books that are, that are published in several languages, usually two or three languages. But according to the United States Bible Society, and uh, the Bible or portions of it have been translated into more than 2,200 languages, which represents about 90% of all spoken languages on the, wor- on the earth. Hmm. Just another book, huh? Why is the Bible so heavily mocked and every other publication promoted? It's an all-out attack on the Word of God. It's an all-out warfare. It's not a whisper out of a snake into the ear of a woman. It's the, 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 the all-out kingdom, small k, just constant barrage against the people of God and the kingdom of God. Has God really said? Yeah, he has. He absolutely has, and that's why we push forward. Listen, one of the most powerful things about our internship is not the teaching. We watch our, uh, you know, Kim was mentioning this morning. I didn't realize that Kim had not done a um, giving message in here, but I know that she's done a giving message before in interns, and she's done a lot of other speaking. And I thought, what an excellent, excellent presentation, amen? And, but the most powerful thing for her and the other interns who have graduated and this year's interns, the most impactful thing is we have a amount of Bible reading schedule where they will read the entire Bible this year, every single chapter. And right now we're in Leviticus. Pray for them. (laughs) We're talking about what do I do if I have a rash and there's a white hair growing in the middle of it? Real exciting, applicable stuff, right? But it is the word of God and it has application. It's like usually about a month or two into interns, all the interns are like, oh man, just so fired up. This is so good. And I'm just sitting back like, well, we did was put you in a box where you had a couple fences to observe and it's the word of God, which is so powerful. I mean, for an intern who misses a day after a couple of months is like, man, I, I'm so hungry. It's because they're hungry and thirsting for the living God, the word of God. You know, why do our schools carry out, uh, pr- promote sexually charged materials for fifth graders? And if we demand the removal, we're, we're called book banners. And yet they're ripping Bibles out for years out of the libraries. Why? Because this really isn't about gender. It's about an attack on a kingdom. You've got to see more behind people. It's not just a political agenda. There's something behind. People are puppets in most cases. They have the thing that they believe. They have the agenda that they have. But there is a warfare happening in the heavenlies. And once you become a member of the kingdom of heaven, you begin to look at your, your world through different eyes. You look at your child and recognize they're not just misbehaving. There are things that are pushing them and pulling against them. And instead of just correcting them, you go to prayer on their behalf and begin to do warfare, laying hands on their pillow while they're at school and speaking over their bedroom and speaking over their future because you understand we're not wrestling against just flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and wickedness in high places. Amen? I don't believe in demons on every doorknob. I believe in demons. I believe in the devil. But that's this big, and the kingdom of heaven is all expansive. So it's not intimidating at all. Amen? Okay. Uh, Okay, we need to continue reading, possessing, declaring God's word in the world. It's the most important, supernatural, powerful book in all of history. And if you're not reading it, get reading it. Stop. It's your only, it's manna. 
When the Israelites traveled from Egypt to the promised land, which is the journey you're on right now, what happened? Miraculously out of the sky, and a, a supernatural food that fed them, but only sustained them for one day. And then they had to get up and do it again. And your spiritual man will only be sustained by the spiritual manner, which is the word of God, okay? All right. I love you, but read your Bible, or I'm coming over to your house at about 4 a.m. and going to shake you out of bed, and we'll read together. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, you're going to hear this sound. <laughs> okay, I might not show up at your house, but I might ring your phone. <laughs> okay, okay. next attack, number five. I've got six minutes left to do four points. Okay, um, how's that working out for me? I just... God created man in his image, male and female. Oh, he gonna go there. Yes, I am. Um, we, we open the doors to everyone and anyone is welcome in this church. I believe Jesus would sit down and break bread with anybody. Even religious fakos like some of us. The most hypocritical people on the planet at times sit in church walls just like this. For those of you who would be self-righteous and feel like you're better than anybody else, that's usually a sign that you are not. Okay? You should be able to interact with anybody on the planet. Oh, don't swear around me. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. Um, the Lord can defend himself. Just you don't use the Lord's name in vain. But to correct everybody, don't talk about my Jesus that way. Jesus has been defending himself pretty well for a long time. And you're going to find you're going to give people the perfect opportunity to stir you up by saying things like that. Now, your kids, that's a whole different issue. I'll leave that at that. Okay, so. Um, and a lot of people want to argue that this premise, do you, do you understand that it says in the book of Genesis, in the first couple of chapters, God created man in his image, and he specifically says male and female. The reason why this is under attack today, and not just today, but in every, every civilization just prior to its fall, go ahead and study yourself a little bit of history there, that this has been under attack because it's one of the final chinks to be able to crush and knock out of the, the links in the chain to undo civilization. It's not a biological argument at all. Some of you are trying to win this argument in biology or sociology, uh, it's not science, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a what? It's a concept, a, a social, thank you very much, our teenagers can explain it better than I can, a social construct, right? Now, it's, it's a Genesis chapter one through three issue that's under attack, that's what it is. It's an issue of identity. God created not only everyone, male and female, but he created you exactly how you needed to be created, and the issue is, when you feel insecure and you want to run out and go change yourself, it's an attack against God's design. In fact, what really needs to happen is the greatest, greatest flavor of you needs to be pulled out so that you can walk in the fullness of who God created you to be. I, I'll tell you a little story about myself. Ninth grade, I was going through an identity um, difficulty. Um, I showed up at high school and found out um, and I was very short. I was, as a freshman, so you can put this in context, I was four foot 11 and weighed 73 pounds as a freshman. I really was supposed to be uh, in the eighth grade that year, but I would like to say it was my advanced uh, brain structure. However, my parents just wanted to get me out of the house 
early. I was a September baby, but they put me in school a year too early. So as a 73-pound freshman, okay, and real high squealy voice, uh, looking for identity, I chose three or four different outfits. One day, I was wearing green khakis and a, and a pink uh, alligator shirt because I was a preppy that day. Then the next day, I was wearing a Bad Company concert shirt, white sleeves, black shirt, Bad Company, blue jeans, fry boots, walking around, whoa, what's up? Had never heard a Bad Company song in my life. And then I was walking around the next day wearing a pair of, we called them Nikes. We didn't know they were Nikes. It was the East Coast. We had no idea. I was walking around with my new Nikes, right? And uh, with a pair of jeans and, and a shirt like this, because now I'm a jock today. And I remember sitting in my uh, uh, a study hall. I was pretty good at drawing. And I had, it was back in the day where your notebooks had like this, it was like a blue jean cover, like kind of like it was a material that was looked like blue jeans. It was a fabric on the outside of your notebook and you could draw on it. And so I was drawing like Van Halen. I didn't know a single Van Halen song, but I was copying somebody else. And my whole notebook, and I'm wearing the Bad Company t-shirt, and I'm sitting up next to a bunch of guys. We called them freaks back then. That was, it was an honor to be called a freak if you were a freak. I'm a, it's right, I'm a stoner, I'm a freak. And the guy began to ask me, hey, you got the Bad Company? Name me one, one song from Bad Company. Well, you know, I, it's hard to remember right now. He's like, how about the song Bad Company? That's not so hard to remember, is it? And the truth is, I didn't know a single ACDC song, so that's when I got involved with the Seven Tapes for a Penny Club, and I start, anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of our students are like, I don't know, what, you, what are you talking about? Oh, uh, yeah, I was cashing those, and I had hundreds of tapes coming because I was never going to be found in that situation. Why did I have all that going on? Because I was struggling with who I was. I wanted to fit in. Every generation has struggled with identity. In fact, the biggest issue that, I deal with and helping people to step out of their infancy in Christianity is to disciple them to see themselves the way God sees them from the moment of creation. Because the enemy has attacked their identity since they were a small child. Some of you have grown up with parents telling you you were stupid, you could never do that, why aren't you like your older brother? Some of you had brothers and sisters who did the same or people in your world that told you you were a loser. And although you fought every, with every fiber of your being to prove them wrong, that lie got into the very depth of your soul and you struggle with it to this day. It's really bigger than God created them male and female, but that is the issue. It's a struggle with God-given identity. You know, there's an interesting thing that happens in Genesis. When God creates Adam... He says everything else is very good, but when he gets to Adam, he doesn't say very good. In fact, he says something a little bit different. He says, and madam, or madam, Adam had no madam. Uh, Adam, Adam was incomplete. As he named the animals, and each had, there were male and female Adams, he didn't have a she. Ish, in the original Hebrew, did not have an isha. And God said, it's not good. It's the only time that God in that section of scripture says it's not good. It's not good that Adam is alone. But watch this, because this is the powerful thing about your identity. God doesn't send out to Amazon looking for, with Adam, okay, do you want a tall one or short one? Okay, you want one that's blue eyes, green eyes? Okay, send, and she'll be delivered overnight. 
And if it's delivered at my house, it might be on the hood of the tractor or in the back field or up on the street, or maybe it's on the back porch. Finally, we bought a box so that the Amazon guy could get our stuff in the box. But she did not show up next day delivery. Your identity is so specific and complete that in the lack that Adam had, God reached inside of Adam and pulled the answer out. And you're going to find that in discipleship, when you struggle with who you are, if you let God, he's going to reach inside of you and show you, pull out the best stuff and complete you. Nobody on this earth will ever complete you. You don't complete anybody on this earth. I know it's a great line in a great movie. Well, I don't know if it's a great movie. Portions of it are great. Some of it I would say, turn down the volume and cover your eyes. But you don't complete you or her or him. God reaches inside and in his discipleship, he pulls out the completion because he's made you with identity, specific. Mom, dad, the answer's not gonna come from the outside. Bring the answer from the inside. I'm not saying the answer's in, well, I am saying the answer is in them. It's not in them because they're so great. It's because God has created them for great purpose on purpose. I know some of the behaviors of your child drive you nuts. Those behaviors, once redeemed, are going to be make the strongest flavors that make them who they are. The more challenging of a child you have, get excited because the more impact probably they'll make in this world. I, Jen, I say that to you specifically, specifically, specifically. I don't know what Elon Musk is, was like as a child, and I'm not, this is not an endorsement for everything Elon Musk, but there's a guy who's made a mark on the world, and <laughs> outer space, and I don't even, you know, I'm not, it's not a ring endorsement of everything he does, but man, as a child, he's on, he's on the spectrum. You understand that? Big time. I'm sure he didn't play well with others or put his toys nice and neat. Stand with me. You can take this. I did not finish. <laughs> I got signs flashing. Get off the stage. Production back there tell me I'm done, but I do want to pray for you. Um, I'm going to let you take this. Let me just look real quick and just see if there's anything else. Oh, I'm just going to read you a few more verses about the male-female thing. The reality of male and female... Uh, gender confusion shows up through many different vehicles, but they are always disguises. It's always an attack on kingdom and identity. Guard your children. You're called by God to raise your children. Don't trust it to anybody else. Other people can be involved. But let me tell you something. When secrets are being kept from parents, it is wrong. Wrong. Don't let it happen. You can take this if you want to. Um, it's always an attack on kingdom. It's an attack on the destiny that God has placed within your child. And you're called to bring that destiny out of them and we'll help you to do that. That's why, I don't. if your kids end up here sitting on the chair next to me, um, your little boy was up here, what a gorgeous little man that kid is. He's got hair that is, if I had hair, that's the hair I want. <laughs> he, and he was so excited up here singing. And I told talking with him and he's saying how much he liked that song and he was saying how good of a singer I think he wants to date her you have to tell him he he ha she has a boyfriend but hey listen ain't no ring on that finger yet so all's fair in love and war but 
That little boy being up in the altar, those are markers in his life. And God has great high calling on his life. You're not here by accident. You're called to raise him in the house of God. Make sure he's here. The things will be deposited. And I say this to every parent. I would not put up with my child saying, I'm not coming today. Wow. You're not coming today? Yeah, you are. It's not a debate. Or right down here, the new, I I told my dad that when I was 18. I'm not going to be going to church anymore. I'm not going to be going. I'm a grown man. I'm able to shave this little patch of hair on the side of my face once a week. My man. 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 My dad did slide a piece of paper over and said, hey, do me a favor, write down your new address. And I'm like, what do you mean? I, 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 556 Stafford Avenue, Bristol, Connecticut. That's where I lived. No, 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 your new address. Because we don't have many rules in this house, but one of them is you will go to church. And if you don't want to go to church, let me know what your new address is so me and mom could stop by occasionally and say hi. But that is one of the unbreakable rules. And I thank God because it was that year, not not at home, not on a baseball field, not on any place else. I stepped into a church because I was made to go to church. But guess what? The beauty of being in the house of God, you can pretend like you're bored. You can pretend like you're not interested. But when God comes in the room, there's no denying it. And God showed up in the room, blew my doors open. And I tell you, it's the best day of my life. Continues to be the best day of my life. Give your life to Jesus. Give your life wholly to Jesus. Step into the kingdom because it's his desire to give you the kingdom. Not survival life, abundant life. Not saying there's not gonna be a fight, but if you're gonna fight, you're gonna throw down and you're gonna win because we're gonna fight with you. You're not doing this alone. Step into the kingdom, say yes. Quit playing games, quit being, uh, you know, I'll just go to church on Sunday. Step into the kingdom. Come boldly in. Raise your hand up high. I'm going to serve God. Tell the person next to you, I'm going to serve God. None of this bow your your heads, close your eyes. Nobody looking around. If you say yes to Jesus, quick, put your hand up. Ah! The same way you come into the kingdom is the same way you'll live in the kingdom. Put your hand up. I will serve God. Declare it with every step. I'm going to serve God. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for your good people. Father, we say yes to you. We say, I say yes to you. I say, gosh, I say yes. I don't need to be at gunpoint. I don't need any threats. God, I say yes. I cannot say no because of your goodness. God, your goodness. The goodness you offered to me when I had nothing, when I was no one, that you poured out heaven into my life. How could I say anything but yes and thank you? and more. I say yes to you again today, Lord. Gladly. Thank you that I have breath in my lungs. Thank you that I get to serve you. Thank you that my life matters. Thank you that it impacts other people. Thank you for the people who are impacted, impacting others. Thank you for the families and the generations ahead that we'll never see impacted by the people in this room. The kingdom is advancing forcefully. We're fighting in prayer. We're fighting in song. We're fighting in worship. God, from their children to the oldest in the room, we're forcefully advancing. We're taking it by force because we are violent on behalf of the kingdom. 
We say yes to Jesus. Come on, say yes to Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for being with us today. Be sure to like and subscribe and visit us at c3swwa.com for more information about our church. 